is WNRI's Upfront. The opinions expressed represent those only of the panel and callers and do not reflect the views of WNRI and its owners. Telephone lines are now open at 7690600. And now, let's join the Upfront panel. The Upfront panel is about to uh, convene here on WNRI. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our program for this um, Tuesday morning. What we do is uh, we ask members of the Woonsocket City Council to rotate uh, on the program. And uh, today on the rotation is Council Vice President John Ward. And he is in studio with us right now. Hello, Mr. Ward. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, everybody out there listening in the world across the globe. Yes, and wherever you may be. Wherever you may be. It's a talk show. If you would like to participate. North Carolina who listens uh, Who's regularly. that? Do you want to identify? A member of the Lesperance family mm-hmm. lives out in North Carolina. Well, good morning to you down there. If you'd like to talk to uh, John Wood at 769 766-1380 is our telephone number. It is a talk show. Mr. Wood, our first question is, are you running for re-election? Uh, for what? Oh, for council, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, there's, there's a possibility of that occurring, yes. We have to make a decision by, what, June, I think? You mm-hmm. and I will be taking out uh, signing papers saying, indicating our decision about running. Will you be running, Roger? No. Oh. But um, that's a shame. Why, that's uh, a shame. Why are you... Um, You've held such high public office in the past. <laughs> I would think you'd be... Yeah. Why um, are you, uh, like... Equivocating? Uh, so, you know, like, best. why aren't you saying, yes, definitely, I'm running? <laughs> because I never say that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's life is full of circumstances, and so uh, there's there's a there's a good possibility I'm going to be running for mm-hmm. election. Do you like it? Uh, is it uh, is it fun or is it? Uh, it, is, it, it is it is it is fun and the most frustrating thing you'll ever do in your life mm-hmm. is be in public office. But and the reason I, I hesitate is I always wish and hope that some clear headed, logical relatively conservative younger people would jump in and want to sort of take over the joint because the the council is um is not a young bunch of young bucks and uh, and ladies that are up there trying to solve the world's problems where we're all over the age of majority by by twice um so I, I always hope that there'll be other people coming along that are not necessarily some of the ultra con, ultra liberal mm-hmm. left wing people that come out to assume that the government will change the world for everybody because we have unlimited resources and we have an obligation to solve everybody's problem. Having a um, shall we say older elected body. Uh, I think um, is um, you know a good thing for uh, for a community. And looking at the communities um, around us, it's not like Woonsocket is special. Uh, I I think you tend to be a little bit older in running for public office, and I think it's really a good attribute. You have that wisdom. Well, when I say younger, I'm thinking like when I first ran for office, I was forty. Mm-hmm. That's to me younger. <laughs> if we had some people in their thirties and forties who have who are in the process of raising their family, who are, uh, you know, people who have lived in the city much of their lives and they have an idea. And I, I really come to this from the perspective that I gained when I sat through the comprehensive plan session last week at the library, is that um, you come to quickly realize that what's in the plan, if you read all 300 pages of it or whatever the number is, um, you come to realize that we are not the same city we were 40 years ago. Uh, we're not the same city we were back when I ran for office in 1995. Mm-hmm. The demographics are completely different. The The growth of the social service industry in the city has grown far more. Uh, actually, it's grown at the expense of industrial and other commercial development in the city, which means our our population shifts, our demographics of the population shifts, our relative median household income compared to the state has declined over that time. So we have a completely different population and city than we did 30, 40 years ago. And somebody from that that age group should be here to sit down at the table and be assisting in the planning for the future because they're the ones that are going to live in most of it. Our next 
The next topic is uh, your nine thousand dollar a year salary, uh, where you're uh, shortchanged forty three bucks. Now, was that ever? Uh, I was listening to a little bit of that, uh, but it got so convoluted and complicated. Uh, you just don't like when uh, Mr. Gendron, uh, you know, got into it. Did it ever get resolved? Uh, would uh, what? What's the deal? Do you make th- nine thousand, or do you make eight thousand nine hundred and fifty three dollars? It, we we make less actually uh, because over the span of time, because of the way they calculate it, um, turns out to be the fact that the most we could ever accidentally receive would be nine thousand, but generally we receive thirty or forty dollars less per year. And again, I didn't bring it up because I want them to cut me a check for thirty or forty dollars. It's more about the fact that if if it's reduced by that much, and I did a quick calculation. Over five years, we would be we were short $180 because of the method of calculation, and if you multiply that 9,000 times 10, that means whoever's making $90,000 over the same five years is probably been shorted about $1,800. Mm-hmm. And so um, the math just never seemed to work. It's make any sense to me. And when I saw the spreadsheet that the finance director provided. It would, I think the council president analyzed it by days and pretty much confirmed our suspicions that basically the calculation is, and it's really an unnecessary calculation because they measure us based upon the number of work days in a year, and we don't even function that way. It's a salary. It's You make 9000 It should be simple. 9000 divided by 26. So well, next year's W-2, say $9,000. It should, mm-hmm. but it likely won't. Because we've already gone three months in the old calculation with an hourly with a with an hourly rate, effectively, or a daily rate instead of a instead of a salary rate. It could be put back, though. I, yeah. I'm not concerned about it being put back for me. I'm concerned about the people mm-hmm. who have been making serious money and being who may have been shortchanged. Um, and as she said, it's not the average. It's not the union workers. It's the people who are right. appointed and on salary, and. Um, right, maybe the methodology just shouldn't apply to them. Maybe there about 10 of them, right? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, over time. But it's been going on for, for years and years and years and years and years. And the mayor asserted that some ordinance affecting it. And I think I found it. But it really doesn't affect salaried employees. It excludes salaried employees specifically. So I just wanted to clear that up because it's driven well, me crazy for 20 years. But you didn't clear it up, though. Well, we made the point that it needs to be investigated mm-hmm. to, to make a determination of... of right. It's a work in progress. Yeah, Yeah. and hopefully from this point forward, we will see that the number has changed to 9,000 divided by 26 instead of some goofy number we can't figure out. All right, let's uh, go to our uh, original stated purpose here to uh, run down some of the council item agenda items and uh, see if we can uh, uh, make them more understandable. First of all, there was a public hearing Mm -hmm. on uh, CDBG uh, funds, and uh, one of the things I learned... In uh, studying the CDBG funds is that anybody who criticizes the city of Woonsocket, including that uh, uninformed Providence Journal reporter, anybody who criticizes the city of Woonsocket for not paying attention to affordable housing uh, would be uh, hard-pressed to uh, find that uh, there isn't money, plus plenty of money for that matter, available for that. Why don't you uh, run down your overview of the CDBG um, funding for us. I know you don't want to get into great detail, but certainly you can make a point about affordable housing. You are correct. I don't I don't want to get into too much detail. It gets complicated. There's many facets to it, including buying uh, fire trucks. But when it relates to housing initiatives, affordable housing initiatives, just reading last night's summary notice of the CDBG program that was attached to the agenda, it mentions that there's $450,000 in Home Investment Partnership Program funds, $1.6 million in Home American Rescue Plan funds, $113,000 in Emergency Solutions grants, and the description is funds to be utilized for the public and community-based project that finance programs and projects addressing community needs, affordable housing, economic and infrastructure community improvements, and public services. So you're talking $215,000 or $20,000, $2 million rather, um, over $2 million, $100,000 of funds directed at um, community needs, including affordable housing, and especially affordable housing. Now, who is, uh, now that the funds are there, who spends this money? Is it uh, just uh, Community Care Alliance, or who, who's Not, in no, charge actually, of No, I don't think it's Community Care Alliance at all. I think it's the, the I think it's called the CHODO, mm-hmm. the Community Housing and 
whatever the uh, letters. Well, Chodo suggests naval naval works. works probably the one who would manage most of that mm-hmm. resource, and they 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 function for affordable housing. So and and community needs. So I don't I don't see where we're lacking in our support. Granted, there's a lot of ARPA money, but there's also a lot of needs in the community besides housing and. The ARPA funds will be used for many of those needs. And that uh, little uh, phrase you use, uh, that's American Rescue Funds. American uh, Rescue Plan Act. Okay. Next on the uh, City Council agenda is a tax stabilization. I think um, there's uh, two uh, parts to this question. Uh, uh, The whole thinking behind tax stabilization and why uh, it's important to help a developer develop something. And secondly, what kind of of a... tax stabilization agreement did we work with this specific developer for Sacred Heart Church? Uh, the Well, first the fact is that it's because it's a church conversion and you know, there's always a fear that, that a church conversion will be used for something that the city does, does not really have that strong an interest in developing, but this particular developer is looking to provide retail-priced market-based housing Apartments that he's going to develop inside the church and in the uh, uh, buildings, the, the rectory and the community hall. They're going to be all converted into living quarters that are going to be market-based rents and associated parking. And because of that, and because he's adding interior structure beyond just fixing up the four walls that exist, he's going to add floors and walls and other things. And so it's a large investment and many millions of dollars. Um, because it's, the city is motivated in wanting that kind of a development in a church, specifically, um, the offer or the negotiation was to provide a tax, tax stabilization agreement, which in this case, uh, for the first two years, will have um, he won't be taxed at all while he's doing the development. And then uh, for the next five years after that, the percentage of value will be 20%, 30%, 40%, 50%, and then 75%, and thereafter it will be... 100% of value will be taxed at whatever the value is assessed to the property and whatever the rate is at that time. So it gives the developer time to develop the property without the burden of taxes, and then it provides for the opportunity uh, for the tax levy, the tax burden to grow as the units are rented out and his revenue stream stabilizes. You use the term market-based rents. Uh, is that a fancy term by saying uh, that they're not getting any subsidies yes. in back? Yes, that's what you or I would pay if we were rent from this gentleman. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's what so, it is. Where did these uh-huh. terms come from? Do you make them up along no, the way? I think or, market, uh, market rents are what HUD uses as uh-huh. their term for the basis for their subsidy calculations. If you look up, if you look up the, um, the HUD schedule of of market rents for mm-hmm. each area of the country that they set. We are in the Providence Fall River area for market rents, and they call it market rents. And so that's what they label them, market-based rents. Although this is not official Woonsocket City Council business, uh, uh, there is a segment of the agenda that permits uh, people like yourself to speak out on uh, various topics. So I'd like you to speak on two uh, particular things. Uh, first of all, um, the comprehensive plan that you uh, referenced a little bit earlier, that's still in the works and people still can make contributions, although um, the public hearings, I guess, uh, seem to be, be beyond uh, I wouldn't. Uh, they, I don't think so because I think once, once the draft is done and sent to the planning board, um, there will probably be a public hearing before the council on the final draft. The council will have a say. And, yes, the information is on the city's website and the planning department section of the city's website. There is much information in there, and you can uh, always add your input into it. Um, you know, one of the things I I was rather upset about in in addressing the comprehensive plan is a need to make make statements in there about the fact that Woonsocket is going to be virtually the last place where the bike path is going to be finished, and like so many other things the state does, it seems like they go alphabetically when they do things, and Woonsocket always ends up last. Sort of like growing up in school where your name is Ward and you're always the last guy in the line. Um, we seem to be last. And the one thing that's critical to the success of the bike path connecting Massachusetts and Rhode Island, or specifically Massachusetts and Bristol, Rhode Island, is a bridge that has to cross the Blackstone River 
somewhere behind um, the probably about the the, the uh, just that just near the library. It'll cross the river and then come behind the library and connect to the bike path as it goes down River Street, and that. Has I sat in a meeting 10 years ago and listened to them promise that they were working on the plans to devise that uh, for the next year, 2013, 2014. And it just never happened. And it keeps getting put off and put off and put off. And it's the way the state treats Northern Rhode Island. Just look at 146. Um, so I wanted to argue about that one. And then there was discussion about what to do on Main Street and what to do about... There'll be a discussion about our facilities for public safety, about parks, about... Everything you can possibly think of in terms of housing associated with the city and what our goals and plans are. And, uh, yeah, the public is welcome to go into the city's website, look it up, open it up, and make comment about it. We have several council members that are uh, enthusiastic about the Canal District plan, including uh, Sierra and Gillette. Is this at all um, something that um, would be referenced in the comprehensive plan? And where do you uh, come down on that? Are you excited about this or are you just a wait-and-see type of guy? I'm being I, I'm excited about the prospect, but I'm more of a wait-and-see because the details really are something that the committee is fleshing out and will be bringing to the council, I believe, at the next meeting for a presentation. And I'm, I have I have questions that are in my head about whether or not this issue is these issues are addressed in terms of exactly where things will be placed and how how traffic flow and and parking for whatever residences they're talking about because they do talk about a lot of residential development uh where are the building's going to be um i want to see it laid out in front of me so i can get a better understanding of how and basically how the bike path runs through it and how it integrates with it so I'm certainly not going to say that it's a bad idea. It's a great idea, but it's a question of uh, the devil being in the details. And so when the details are presented, we'll see how much the devil there is in them. Not to politicize this, but is this a classic confrontation between the mayor and Bopalant uh, instead of, um, instead of uh, a plan that uh, uh, would normally get um, you know some, uh, shall we say, uh, attention? Uh, because it looks like uh, the two are you know like miles apart if there was a different relationship back in 2013 and 14 then it probably would have um enjoyed a hearing and become part of a negotiated development or redevelopment of the uh truman drive um bike path expansion area but their relationship prevented that from happening and the difficulty is in trying to circumvent the city administration in implementing something like this makes it very difficult and certainly trying to get it incorporated into a comprehensive plan makes it is, is even more difficult um, because then you have to sell it to the state too so it's yeah it's it's sad that it was something that was that was created out of um a disagreement between two two people, basically. Resolvable? I don't know. Yeah, looks uh, looks like uh, one has one plan and one has another plan. One is passive, one is active. Well, yeah, it's it's true. One, well, I wouldn't say one is passive. I mean, to to finally get around to turning Truman Drive into a two lane road is something. I mean, that in comparison, ago. but I comparatively, think yes, right, right. comparatively, it's it's much less aggressive than than the uh, Bocalon plan. Before we take our break, I just want you to uh, explain uh, why you uh, are interested in the Holly Spring property. I am interested in it because Mr. Markey and his wife have taken the time and made the effort to um, bring it to the city's attention. You're talking as about Mr. Markey identifying a walking path within the property? Identifying yeah. and mm-hmm. then clearing out a path for people to enjoy nature and out in that 50-some acres of property. Um, and he's done a fine job. I watched his videos. I've, I've seen what's out there. And I've been in communication with him, and I, I agree with him that you need to do something. If something like, if an area like that is to be enjoyed by people, you need to do something to protect, um, protect what he's done, and protect the space for proper enjoyment by people. Because it's not, it's not a recreation area; it's a passive recreation area. It's not intended to be football fields and soccer fields. It's intended to be a place to go commune with nature, as it were. 
Um, so I, I want to try to find a way to write legislation that will uh, provide protection and maybe put up some barriers to prevent motorized vehicles from getting in there. Um, so this is being done because uh, the landowners uh, or the neighbors in there uh, would rather not see this happen. So there's got to be some kind of an agreement, right? Um, oh, you're talking about the fact that the, the condo ownership at Holly Spring? Um, yeah, so there's some people yeah, that well, don't want well, people the, walking that Well, yes, because that, that particular road going into there is actually privately owned as part of the condo development. Mm-hmm. They own the property right out to Menden Road. And so they don't want people coming up the driveway and walking in through there and parking their cars there and leaving trash there. And they don't want the city intruding in there. So they they have the ability to prevent people from going in through some development of a barrier. The bigger concern now is about the fact that there's access to the property from Annette Avenue um, on a public road that ends abutting the property. There's access to it through Tara Lane, where there's a... Um, uh, a stormwater holding pond that's there that's generally dry, but you can access the property there. And then there's access across private property in the Highland Industrial Park that I'm sure company owners don't realize people walking across their property are going into that area. And people riding dirt bikes and such can get in there through the, that area. So what do you hope to establish then uh, in, in the end? Uh, the, some kind of a parking area or, or what? It would be good if we could take the area, find some way either through a space in the industrial park or through the Terra Lane area or through the Annette Avenue area to get an entrance in there and maybe develop a parking area, a small parking area for several cars so that people could come to the spot and and enjoy it without having to deal with motorized vehicles and there's ways to put barriers in so that you can keep unintended uh, equipment out of the area and then then the local people would be the ones the ones who want to enjoy it would likely be the ones who would have to maintain the quality of the walking trail because I don't know the city has resources to go in there and keep cleaning it out and take care of it seasonally so last night it was um, you know something that you wanted to discuss but what can we expect legislatively from uh, from the council in terms of uh, in the future of what uh, to do with this this walking trail. Well, uh, for my mind, I mean, I'm going to be doing some research for other from other communities to find some of these passive passive recreation zones in terms of um, restrictions that are placed on it. And like, I gives an example of the Booth Pond Conservation Area uh, Conservation Group out of North Smithfield mm-hmm. that gave us regulations that we passed and approved for the Booth Pond area up off of Jilson uh, Avenue at the end of Jilson. And they have some regulations that they've built in and we could possibly look at some of that to put into ordinance. And then, as I said, physical barriers to prevent unwanted vehicles from entering into the area to, um, to make it more accessible and, and enjoyable for the public to use. John Ward, Council Vice President, with us on the Upfront Program. It's break time. Let's meet for lunch or dinner at the Roast House. Their menu offers something for everyone. Seafood and chicken, roasts, steaks, and chops. Appetizers and their rotation of the heartiest soups in the area. Open Sunday through Thursday, 1130 to 9. Friday and Saturday, 1130 to 10 p.m. Now, here are some of the delicious choices awaiting you at the Roast House. All right, let's check out uh, the Roast House. First of all, I checked it out yesterday. Uh, had a nice uh, turkey dinner with um, with all the fixings. You get um, you get the mashed potatoes. Uh, you get the sides. Very nice turkey dinner at the Roast House. Uh, but on the luncheon menu, how about um, buffalo chicken strips and fries at nine ninety nine? Available today at lunch. Our famous all white uh, meat chicken. And these are the strips that are lightly breaded and then flash fried and then tossed in your choice of a sauce. $9.99 with delicious fries, too. We are the Roast House Restaurant. We're open for lunch today, and we certainly hope you'll stop by. Next is uh, the Honey Shop, located on uh, Park Avenue here in Woonsocket. What would I call Upper Park Avenue in Woonsocket? And we have these uh, very nice um, workshops, I guess you could call them. Uh, And we've got uh, a couple uh, coming up this coming Saturday. Um, There's two workshops back-to-back is what's going to happen. 
And uh, one work- workshop is on how to make um, beer, pale ale beer. We're going to have workshop number one. And then workshop uh, number two uh, will um, be on finances and how to make your uh, finances uh, better. Matter of fact, um, that's going to be between two and four. And the pale ale beer making uh, demonstration and uh, workshop will be between 11 and 1. If you're interested in either one of these um, classes, I guess you could say, you can, they're, they're classes, uh, you're welcome to um, give us a call. And our telephone number is 766-1488. 766-1488. We are the Honey Shop. And uh, we are uh, where you can um, get that uh, f- uh, making sense uh, with your uh, with your with your dollars, and this is a good good show. It, it show you how to save money on food and how to save money on buying things. And um, I think one of the things I've read on uh, Facebook is that when you conclu- when you conclude this seminar or this workshop Saturday afternoon between two and four, if you're not convinced that uh, you're going to save uh, money. Uh, they'll refund you the money for the shop, right? The, that's how confident they are. This is all at the honey shop. Of course, we sell our regular stuff like honey, uh, but um, we have been doing these workshops, and they've been very, very popular with people, and we certainly hope that you'll consider a workshop um, at uh, the honey shop. Two of them this coming Saturday, beer making 11 to 1, and uh, how to um, stretch your dollars between two and four. At the CPA firm of Kayer Caution, we believe in the value of relationships. We view every client relationship like a partnership and truly believe that our success is a result of your success. We're committed to providing close personal attention to our clients. We take pride in giving you the assurance that the personal assistance you receive comes from years of advanced training and technical experience. Dedicated and trusted for over 30 years. For Kayer Kosher, certified public accountants with offices in Warwick at 732-8900 and Woonsocket at 766-8100. Okay, before we press the rejoin the program button, we just want to remind you that they're back. Uh, the fresh, the famous, the delicious Italian grinders, very generous. Woonsocket Elks Lodge every Tuesday from 10 to 1, $7. You can't beat the price this morning, starting at 10 o'clock at the Woonsocket Elks. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. By invitation, John Ward is with us. He is a council vice president. He has sort of said he's running for re-election. Sort of. Right. <laughs> but he's a ward, and uh, the, dealing with these ward people can be difficult. Very frustrating. Right, very yes. frustrating. Runs in the family. Hello there. Welcome to the Upfront program. What would you like to talk about? Hello, good morning to you and all the audience. First, I'd like to talk about a subject we've already talked about, and I like the idea of seeing more state park, city parks open to commune with nature. Now, I'm going to talk about Cold, Cold Springs Park. I remember you used to be able to walk through there, and now it's a bunch of sports fields, and it's like walking through a maze. It's like they spin corridors where you walk between the sports fields. It's not an open park anymore. It's basically an organized sports field. Now I look at Cass Avenue Park. First, there was a, ro- a, a track put in with a fence around it. Then they put a fence around the baseball field. You know, I, I, I don't know. It must be Rhode Island. Rhode Island state of restriction. Rhode Island restriction. Restriction Rhode Island. It, it's like I like open parks, and I don't like to see. We need a moratorium. I don't want to keep seeing fenced-in areas introduced into our park, but we just can't walk around them anymore. It's ridiculous. You have stated your viewpoint. Thank you for your call. Appreciate that very much. Do you have any comment before I, we press another button? I, I, I can't disagree, but it, I, I think um, the fact is uh, there are, there in every community you have athletic fields, mm-hmm. and they, they tend to grow, um, and it's good that we were able to acquire that 50 acres so that people can find a place where they don't have to contend with to me, that a, kind of congestion. To me, a park is something that should be utilized. And if people are not walking through it and enjoying nature, maybe there's another use of the same piece of real estate for something else, like an athletic field or something like that, as long as people use public space. Well, and I, I, I hear the criticism between two and four about the, the terrible thing it was to get rid of the pond 
at World War II Veterans Memorial Park. But at the same time, uh, I guess maybe, um, maybe the host has not spent time down at the water feature that is there with mm -hmm. the with the um, with the equipment that's there. And I have with my grandchildren, and they mm -hmm. love it, and it's very enjoyable for them, and it's a cooling area. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons I asked the administration to use some of the ARPA funds to put some kind of a cooling facility up at Dunn Park. I know she mentioned putting it in Veterans Memorial Housing Project, but they don't even have a play area there, so that would be foolish. But um, I think, you know, there are certain features that make it attractive to people, and when it comes to athletics and exercise, uh, placing things in the city for youth to grow up in is a good thing, I think. Let's take another call. Hello, what do you want to talk about? Good morning, man. Good morning. Good morning. John, um, I'd like to say that uh, they say politics is all local. And I just want to say to you, uh, keep up the good work with the town council. Seems like a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, also, John, uh, the middle class and taxpayers are experiencing, experiencing the greatest tax increase in maybe 40 to 50 years. And I call this tax, they call this tax inflation. Uh, we're hitting about 30% in the last 40 months. Uh, this means that 30%, roughly speaking, this is how hidden it is, about 30% of your bank account, the value of the dollars, has been stolen or taken away. Is there any relief in sight for middle-class individuals who are taking a real beating with this and the taxpayers? Uh, the Well, the difficulty is that the inflation experienced by the people who are going to the grocery store and buying their medications and paying for their gasoline in the car is the same kind of inflation that the city um, is subject to when it buys gasoline for the vehicles they operate and to pay for the utilities that are going up. I think the insidious part of this inflation is that the the factors that are used to measure inflation today are different than they were back in the late 70s, early 80s, when we were dealing with 12%, 13% inflation rates, um, because they, they leave out certain things that, that you would think are obvious drivers of inflation, one of them being food prices, which have been going up for years now and yet don't seem to have affected the inflation rates over the course of the last seven or eight years. But, but everybody that does grocery shopping knows that food costs have been rising steadily for the last at least five or six years. Um, but it's, it's a challenge because, as I say, operating a household and operating a government, you both experience the inflation factors that are built in, and it's coming out of Federal Reserve policies and government spending practices. And frankly, um, I think if you look at any government operation, many of them are flush with cash because the federal government is printing money so fast we can't possibly get rid of it sooner, fast enough and use it. And that means that you're right. Taxpayers and homeowners and renters and uh, middle class especially are paying the highest amount of the cost of that because it translates into higher prices. And it's a very difficult thing to come out of. You know, one of the things, uh, you have to go back to what Reagan did to try to break us out of it back when, and that turned into a tax cut at the federal level in order to generate more revenue and, and work towards developing um, surplus, which it turned out not to do, but it did stimulate the economy enough. Uh, the real question then becomes, can you stimulate the economy more when the unemployment rate's only 3%? But again... There's another measure, and I don't want to go on too long about this, but there's another measure that they've changed the dynamics of. Sure. The unemployment rate back in the 70s was made up of certain numbers that they don't use today when they calculate the unemployment rate. You know, they don't think they factor people who have dropped out of the workforce, and there's a lot of people who have what, dropped out of the workforce. Right. What do you think the projection is, John, for the next uh, three years of this administration? Ooh, I think, the next, my, to my mind, the, the projection is going to be that um, they won't get much done between now and November. The Democrats will lose the House and the Senate, and pretty much nothing's going to happen for the two years after that in terms of government policy. And uh, But unfortunately, we'll be, our prices will be driven by uh, rising in interest rates caused by the Fed having to... Um, temper the growth of, uh, of spending and, um, and dealing with the food shortages created by a war in Ukraine and 
uh, and, and basically oil price changes resulting from that, too. We're going to move on, yeah. sir. Okay, guys. But thank you. Have Thanks. a good day. Appreciate your call. All right. Uh, we have some uh, comments from our audience uh, that we'll be acknowledging in just a second. But uh, I want to run down another item from the council agenda, and that is... Um, repealing the land use restrictions from the former Kendrick Avenue school property. And uh, this is one that I was in favor of 100%. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably, uh, you know, probably we should get half of the money back instead of only 10%. But uh, maybe you can run our audience through how this all uh, how this all happened. It came out of the fact that when the city when the city sold the land or the property to the Boys and Girls Club back in 2005, um, they sold it and for a dollar and the stipulation was that it couldn't be used for residential development which quite frankly in retrospect was foolish because the property sits directly in the middle of a giant r4 multifamily residential district there's nothing even close to it that's commercial industrial or anything else it's all residential multi-unit housing um so they put that restriction on and Time went by, and the Boys and Girls Club goes to sell it, and they sell it to a residential developer who's going to need that restriction removed. And so they come to the council, and the council felt that because we had not sold it to them for anything approaching a market price back when, we should share in some of the proceeds that come out of that sale to sort of do a retroactive sale of the property at $40,000 to the Boys and Girls Club. And I understand the argument. Um, I voted against the amendment because I, I didn't. I thought the city, being in a very high surplus area with thirty million dollars of ARPA funds to spend, against all of our needs, it was a very small amount of money. And so you're doing it on principle, not so much on need. Mm -hmm. And the Boys and Girls Club can certainly use forty thousand dollars for the development of their new property and for, and for their, their programs that they run. And though I object to some of the things they've done recently, it is what it is. The big mistake was what they should have done back then was sell it to them for a dollar and simply put a stipulation that upon, you know, if the Boys and Girls Club is ever to move out of the, the property, that it would revert back to the city's ownership and then the city could have sold it. But that's not what they did. And so here we are. So I voted to remove the restriction myself and it came with the $40,000 benefit to the city coffers. Now, are you saying that that's what we're going to do in the future? In other words, when we sell somebody a piece of well, property that... Uh, if it's a nonprofit that wants it for a discount, then we should put a restriction that says when you're done with it, it comes back to the city. And then we can do what, decide what to do with it then. They can't... That, it would prevent them from transferring it to any other ownership. And I think that would be appropriate for city property like closed schools. Um, for instance, if they close one of the elementary schools, there have been discussions about closing Coleman School. What do you do with Coleman School? Do you sell the property? What do you do with it? Um, you know, it, it becomes a city property, but if it was sold to a nonprofit or given to a nonprofit to run some sort of program, then I think in doing that transaction, the simple answer is you're either going to sell it to them for money or, probably better, to help them achieve their goals is to turn it over to them for a dollar with a stipulation that upon their completing use of it at any point in the future, it would automatically revert back to city ownership. A couple of our emails on one side of the uh, email screen here. I've got a couple of screens going here. The bathroom, so this is... Uh on the Dion track. Did we talk about the Dion track um, uh, in this program? No. You, right. Well, you mentioned, uh, one of the, the first call to mention it is part of the prop. Okay. Part. Anyway, uh, this writer says the, bat, uh, the bathrooms are locked uh, when they're supposed to be open during park hours. Many elderly and females have to leave the property because of this situation to continue to expand other facilities when the city can't even keep bathrooms open is sad, says a listener. So I see the relationship to our conversation now with the yes. rest of the sentence. Yes, and right, and that's, that's a perfectly valid complaint. If the doors are locked to the bathrooms, that's a serious problem, and it should be taken care of because I know that many seniors walk that track as a daily exercise, and I also know being a member of that group that the need for bathrooms in close proximity is all the more important as you age. And so I will transfer this concern to Mr. D'Agostino, and I will hope that they correct that problem. And it could be that they need to put um, industrial-type, indestructible bathroom fixtures 
-hmm. maybe something akin to what they put in prison cells so that nobody can go in there and just destroy them. I'm sure that's part of the reason they're not open is because uh, vandals go in and destroy what's in there. Hey, Booch. Uh, some people affectionately hey, refer to me. Booch. Hey, Booch. You should take a walk with me through the Holly Spring land. Right, so, well, uh, the gentleman that wrote that, uh, I have taken a walk with you through the Holly Spring land. I just did it by video. Right. I right. did the same thing. Right. I, I watched uh, but, that uh, video. And it was, yeah, it was I'll, great. Yeah, I'll be happy to walk it uh, in. Uh, that was virtual. I'll be happy to do it in reality. All right. Another uh, writer says, uh, thank you, John, for acknowledging the hard work my son Bobby and his wife put into the Holly Springs area. They love hiking and hope to see others enjoy that nature walk, including you. I've seen you walking in our neck of the uh, woods at times. So keep it going. Always enjoy your input at council meetings and on up front, writes Sandra. All right. Thank you for that uh, email. Now let's get back to um, to um, topics here in the program. Uh, when Socket Housing Authority, um, you were uh, you worked at the Housing Authority. Right. I was a commissioner one time. Yes, you uh, were. A couple of times been a commissioner. So, uh, and I know that, uh, I don't know if it, I saw you comment on Facebook or not. Probably. But. Uh, um, probably a cog. Right. So. Breeze article, maybe. Is there um, is there a little bit of yes and a little bit of no uh, in this whole Woonsocket Housing Authority issue? I know that it's not a Woonsocket City Council business item, but I know you know a lot about finance and, and how the Housing Authority spends money and what the legal ramifications are. What do you think is going on with the Housing Authority? Is there some blame on e each side? I... Frankly, I'm a bit confused with it because I've collected a lot of information about what's going on, reading the audit report, reading uh, the attorney's uh, summary of, of their investigation. I'm expecting that HUD will do some kind of investigation because if there's unallowed spending, they'll be expected to be paid back. Um, it's very confusing. It, it always seemed to me that it was that the overspending for security was couched in the fact that they were doing resident protection uh, for COVID-related issues, and I think that was something alluded to by the, I guess, I don't know if he suspended or terminated or former or active or whatever executive director. I think it's suspended. Suspended, okay. Um, and so it gets, it gets very confusing. It looks like there were management issues where there was some failing to to do the proper job when it came to acquiring services and paying for services. And then it was compounded by the failure to report it to the commissioners in the monthly meetings. Uh, then there was the contract issue for the executive director's contract, which appears to have been illegal. But then I'm getting stories told to me about the fact that the contract was actually drafted from another executive director's contract somewhere else in the state. I'm getting so much information that's confusing. Um, and I'm sure having been almost been the victim of, of a political assault and my employment at the Housing Authority uh, through the stacking of the board membership to get rid of me, um, I'm familiar with how these things work. So I'm never quite sure where to point the finger. Um, so I'm not, but I'm actually looking forward to the day where HUD comes in and actually puts some of these issues to rest one way or another. And if it was if it was honest mistakes, it's one thing. But $600,000 of honest mistakes without reporting it to the commissioners is a lot to swallow. Um, so I, 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 I'm not, I don't have enough information to judge to anything. Come, huh? There's got to be more to come, and it's going to have to rely on HUD to do their, their due diligence. Mr. Ward, was I part of the responsibility of you leaving the housing? No. The, oh, good. I just no, want to make sure. <laughs> I, I pretty much was able to find alternative employment elsewhere, and and, and it's and worked left, out. Huh? Left before I was uh, summarily dismissed mm -hmm. without cause. Who was the housing authority director at the time? Uh, at the time that I left, it was Steve Vatney. Steve Vatney, yes, I remember that. A caller has inquired about the status of uh, Ayot Field. And the Omri on South Main Street, you have topics one and two in front of you. Lucky me. Uh, Ayot Field, um, I'm presuming that they're going through whatever process is necessary in permitting in order to start that project. I would hope that, that they are. the only thing that's delaying it would be more to do with um, 
acquiring the resource and the contractor to do the work. Uh, so I will inquire and I will report back to Mr. Bouchard and let him know what I find. Um, and the other one was the... Well, before you uh, get to the other one, uh, Ayot Field will end up being... A storage facility, right. a self-storage self facility. Okay. Uh, preferably of a, apparently of a higher higher quality than just a bunch of garage doors stacked in a row on a property. It's multi-level and uh, designed to be more aesthetically pleasing. Armory. Uh, Armory. South Main I honestly have no idea. I think I'll need to inquire of the administration to find out where that process is. Well, I'll do that um, for you, Alan. Oh, the mayor is scheduled for tomorrow. i got to call uh, and you, reconfirm. I would say the, the armory can best be covered by the mayor because she would know more about it. She actually works inside City Hall daily and knows information about things that are being done with permitting and process related to that. Do you know what happens at 4 o'clock this afternoon? Four o'clock this afternoon. Savini's Pomodoro Restaurant opens up. Uh -huh. I just wanted well, to tell you that. I the go-to place for authentic Italian dining is Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar. Over 20 Italian dishes made to order from our menu or experience our Sicilian-style pizza. Build your own while you choose from your veggies, meats, and cheeses. And, of course, our traditional family-style chicken dinner is offered every day. Savini's Pomodoro on Rathbun Street with affordable accommodations for weddings, birthdays, anniversaries, and business meetings. Close Mondays open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays at noon. For reservations, call 762-5114. That's 762-5114. Savini's Pomodoro Italian Kitchen and Bar, 476 Rathbun Street, Woonsocket. Inviting you to join us at our family-owned businesses, Savini's or Ciro's, perfect for any event. Soup and salad bar now available, and Papa Savini's famous roasted chicken and noodle soup, also available by the 32-ounce jar to take home at Savini's Pomodoro. Matthew and Nelv invite you to drop off your laundry at M&N Laundromat. We wash, dry, fold when you drop off for only a dollar a pound. Includes detergent, bleach softener, dryer sheets with clear plastic bags. Pickup and delivery is available too. We have all commercial front load machines, 20 pounds, 30, 40, 60 pounds, and 80 pound washers. And enjoy our 65 inch flat screen TV and free Wi-Fi while you're here. Commercial accounts are also welcomed, including nursing homes and restaurants. We have the equipment to do the big jobs with washers up to 100 pounds and dryers up to 45 pounds. Have a question? Call us at 769-9661. The husband and wife team, Matthew and Nell, invite you to stop by our 389 Willow Street location. Matt is a Woonsocket native and proud to say M&N Laundromat is locally owned and operated. Enjoyable dining, all your favorite pickup order to go from Grumpy's Restaurant in Bellingham. Open seven days a week with a great luncheon menu starting at just $5.99. And a little full menu from burgers to steaks to seafood and great Italian dishes including tasty pizzas. One of the best menus in the area. Hungry today or tonight? Well, come on in and enjoy friendly service, reasonable prices, and great food at Grumpy's. Call ahead for a pickup order or place a reservation to dine in at 508 883-0101 Grumpy's 190 Pulaski Boulevard in Bellingham Grubhub delivery available and some of those $10 dinner specials on Monday through Thursday have been baked manicotti they've had uh, chicken and broccoli scampi uh, grilled um, salmon fillets not necessarily on the menu tonight because that's the choice of the chef on a Monday through Thursday basis but there are four or five specials Every night, and they always change. You're listening to WNRI's Upfront, a radio internet talk show. Now, let's get back to the panel. John Ward is with us, so we're going to ask him a question about um, the um, bills and being introduced in the Senate, including uh, the one entitled um, Common Opportunity to Purchase Act. And this is um, Rhode Island housing, and these are Rhode Island legislators getting in the way of... Uh, local real estate transactions. Can you tell us what you know about that? Yeah. Um, it's, it's staggering to think about that they're writing, they're drafting a law that would provide that selected nonprofit organizations would have the right to interfere with an arm's length transaction between two private parties for the sale of real estate if it was a three family building or more by allowing these nonprofits to 
intercede and buy the property themselves in advance of allowing any private party to buy it first. Um, it, it is the most ridiculous, overreaching, offensive piece of legislation I've seen all year. And I've seen some offensive stuff, but this one is, I think it's unconstitutional, quite frankly. And yet the Senate president supports this. So the next time you have Roger Pickard or Melissa Marion talking with you, uh, you need to ask them about what kind of a bill they think that is. Because to me, it's, it's terrible governance that they would think that that's appropriate as a solution to, a, to an affordable housing problem. We have a lot of um, uh, conflicts uh, that go back a number of years uh, concerning real estate appraisals. One was uh, settled uh, last night at the council meeting. Can you talk about the settlement in uh, particular and in, pro in general the, top, the problem here? Well, it, it wasn't actually settled. It was tabled to a meeting next week where it will be considered and discussed with the solicitor in greater detail. But it basically comes down to the fact that something that I've been arguing for years now when... Northeast revaluation came in and did the revaluation some years ago, um, 2017, I guess, or 18. The values they set for residential, uh, large residential developments increased by almost 50% in many cases. And like clockwork, they all lined up to appeal their values, and but they have to pay the taxes in order to appeal. And they did, and they appealed, and most of them have successfully appealed and so the revenue that we thought we would get we don't get and this was another classic case of that where if this a property that was was 2.2 million dollars was valued at 3.3.5 million maybe and they appealed and it went to court because the board of tax assessment review approved their settlement but the council denied it and so they took it to superior court and rather than spend tens of thousands of dollars um, defending it, there was a settlement reached because the property owner actually sold the property and it's going to be about $48,000 that we pay them back as part of the settlement because the company that did the revaluation that time made such ridiculous determinations on this type of property citywide. And we have a fund to uh, well, do we, that? We or? basically pay for it out of tax collections in the year that the settlement's mm -hmm. approved, but as I, I mentioned off-air, we actually budget estimating only about 97 or 98 percent collection of total tax levy anyway so there's always a cushion built in to allow for adjustments like this do we have a lot of these left over i i don't know i'd have to check the mm -hmm. attachment to the agenda that is last listed the legal mm -hmm. issues because they have a law department report that lists all of these issues that are in court i have to check that it's been a while but um there's there's i think there's still a few that are left Thank you for being with us today. It's we'll see you pleasure. next time. All right. Thank you very uh, much. We covered a lot of ground. Council Vice President John Ward visiting with us on the Upfront program.